Welcome to the First Impressions Podcast, the official podcast of the Forum of Incident Response and Security Teams. Every month, Chris John Riley and myself, Martin McKay, share informal conversations with security professionals from around the globe. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers alone, and any sarcasm you hear is purely intentional. For more information on FIRST or this podcast, please check out FIRST.org. This time on the show, we're lucky enough to be talking to Chris Gibson, Executive Director of FIRST. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's, it's a real pleasure to be here. It's been a while, been too long, but it'll be, it's great to talk to you. It has. It's, we were talking a little bit about this before we clicked record, and it's, it's Edinburgh was the last time we, I think we saw each other face to face. It's been two and a half years. It has, like that. and that's, that's not what I was expecting when I joined first, which was about two years ago um, in, in May, just before the Edinburgh conference. You know, the theory, what it was, it was, I was very excited getting back to first, all the people I've known and worked with for years, friends around the world. This was going to be brilliant. This was going to be fantastic. But just think of the opportunity. We had it until January and then boom, you know, in came COVID. But the opportunity to, to Zoom and Skype with people all around the world is now there for you, right? It's, it's not all about the travel. Sometimes Zoom is enough, right? Zoom is good, or or meeting, or Teams, or whatever you know, name your your video of choice. Um, I don't think it replaces the face to face contact, frankly. But 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 on the other hand, it's a world we need to move towards, and we need to get better at. So so it's it's been interesting. It's you know a lot of change, a lot of forced change, but change that we sh- I think we should have done possibly earlier, and we you know it's it's pushed us into it. So I guess that that kind of brings us to I mean, the first question: Is it where where's first at now? Right? It's been it's been more than a year. You know, everything's changing. The world is changing. How has first changed during that period of time? Well, I think obvious. You know, the, the clue with first, as I always tell people, is in the name. It's a forum. It's a place where people get together and meet. It's about building trust and so on. And traditionally, first twenty nine years or whatever of first, we've always done that through face to face meetings, through through symposia, through technical colloquia, and meeting people and talking to people and having a beer with people and, and learning about them and learning their problems and building that network of trust. Obviously since I think the I think we had the PSERT SIG was the last meeting that was held by first. The last one I attended was the European Symposium last the year January that's not happened and we've been pushed into doing zooms and doing teams and and so on i think that's been a real change for a lot of people on the plus side it's enabled us to reach out to a lot more people who possibly couldn't have made it before it's enabled us to reach out to people who couldn't get away from the office through financial reasons or travel reasons or or, or whatever reasons so it's in, in some ways it's a great thing and it's helping us do what we want to do i still miss the the face to face contact yeah, there was some discussions we, we talked recently to, to Serge, and, and he mentioned that it's it's allowed first to reach out to maybe areas of the world that wouldn't necessarily be able to take part if it was a physical-only conference. Um, and I, I know a, a two, three, maybe even four years ago now, um, you know, Martin and I attending one of the conferences and, and trying to float the idea about audio and video recordings of some of the, the key conference uh, material. And I know that that was an interesting discussion in that there's a lot of you know TLP red there's a lot of trust issues um around sharing data maybe outside of of kind of the the safe bubble that that first presents at conferences 
Do you see that changing now that, that everything has gone to an online environment and everything is freeing up a little bit? So, so it's an interesting one. I mean, I was on the board, you know, years ago, 2004, 2014. We had exactly those discussions then. I could remember people saying we should be going online, we should be doing streaming, we should be doing whatever we call podcasts in those days, pre-whatever. <laughs> um, and, 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 and we all looked and said, you know, yes, we should. But we never seemed to be pushed in. We never did, got on and did it. Um, and there was that pushback of the, but first is all about meeting face-to-face. Oddly enough, if you go back to some of the very first bylaws, there was almost an ex- an absolute expectation that you would attend conference. Every team would send someone to every conference. Now, those those days have long gone, and that's not a, a, a we're not able to do that now. By moving online, we've we've been able to change that so that people can take place. Our our vision says we want to be in every country in the world. We want teams of you know members in every country that we can talk to, that we can help you know make the world a safer place. I think is the line. We are up to, I think, 97 countries now. That's only half the countries in the world, depending on how you count them. Most people, there's about 195 countries, territories, call it what you will. So we're not even, we're about halfway. How do we reach those other ones? How do we reach the countries that maybe for financial reasons, for budgetary reasons, for just distance travel, can't make conferences, can't get to the TCs and so on? And I think that this is the perfect way to do it. You know, we can actually reach out to these people, you know, last year's conference which we rescheduled from june to november and then obviously that then pushed it to go online we had i think two and a half thousand people registered now not all of them attended you know we will all know that when you do these online things people register they don't turn up but they spent the time they're aware of who first is they went through a booking process so that's a plus of those two and a half thousand about 1500 actually arrived you know turned up for some portion of the conference which i think which is truly impressive i think Um, is way more than we've had anywhere else. I think Edinburgh was our biggest conference ever and we had 1,100. And on the back of, frankly, a very short notice period, we didn't have a long registration, months of advertising, pushing it out there. It was quite short notice to to push that out. I think that was quite impressive. And that's when we saw that, that was like, that's really cool. That's really reaching countries we've not reached before. That's getting out into places that we can't get to that can't get to us but all of a sudden through zoom through whatever can reach us and we can talk to them and we can help them so one of the areas that i'm slightly concerned about as as we move more into this online conference things are changing and people are going to move in that direction is that the same set of countries that may have a problem traveling to across the world to attend a conference are also the countries that very likely have connectivity issues, very likely have technology issues that are very different than us. And it's okay mm. for us to throw these solutions at people like just jump on mm. Zoom, you know, just just turn your camera on and jump on Zoom. <laughs> and it's like, I'm using like a Nokia flip phone here, right? This is, you know, my, my connection is not stable enough to receive mm. live video. My cable is not, you know, good enough to send live video. And, and maybe we're moving from an area where I don't want to say discriminate because it's not the goal. I mean, we're really not discriminating. It's just the focus has been very much on physical access to the mm. conference. We're now saying that the next regime is going to be you know, online access, making a very similar set of people the first world citizens, right? The people who have fiber, the people who have reliable internet connections are still going to be the ones mm. who are at the forefront. They're still going to be the ones who can gain access to that knowledge. So sometimes just doing the live online events maybe is not enough 
that's a very fair point. It's, it's a very good point. And I think this is where, you know, we want to move to essentially a hybrid world. You know, we want mm. to be doing both. We want to be doing as much as we can. So not all of our events are purely live streamed. You know, we record them. They're on our YouTube channel. So if you have connectivity issues, hopefully you can download them, you know, in slow time and watch them afterwards. <laughs> yeah. um, all of our Zooms and so on, we have, as you know, a reasonable number of dial-in Zoom does around the world. So you can dial in on a phone if, if need be. I think we're trying to broaden our ability to get to as many people as possible. But you're right. You know, there are countries that are at the end of a very wet piece of string um, and are just going to have a significant problem doing that. But that, I think, is where some of the regional activities that we've done in the past, where we try and get out to those countries, improves things. But to be fair, I remember working in one of my roles I was working. We had the Pitcairn Islands came up. The Pitcairn Islands. I had more people working for me in Cert UK than live on the island of Pitcairn. <laughs> you know, at what point? And they, they they had a domain registry that I think had challenges that was being run by someone else. And that's how they made money. And they came to us asking for help. And it's like, well, I'm, I, I, you know, how? How can we do this? I mean, you're very, it's a long way from nowhere. You are not going to be streaming video, etc. But look back over the last 10, 15 years at places in Africa that, again, at one point had a long, wet piece of string and very low connectivity, significantly, significantly improved now with huge bandwidth going in. I think as that broadens, over time we'll get better. But until then, absolutely, we do we do all the, all the options. We do in person, we do video, we do online, we do recordings, and we broaden that ability to reach out. Mm -hmm. So aside from the conferences, we've talked a lot about the conferences and a lot about the change towards a virtual conference because, I mean, it's it's at the forefront of people's minds. It's one of the things that, that first is known for is running these amazing conferences where you can gain access to people and things like that. But outside of the conference, what is first now doing or looking at doing in the future that feeds into this kind of change about how we're working right outside of conferences? What's what's that other thing that, that we're going to be working on as part of first? Other than the podcast, obviously, which is an amazing thing. We should definitely do a whole lot more of this. But uh, other than the podcast. So I think, again, look back prior to the conference, we used to do 20, 25 separate events around the world, be that training, be that uh, TCs, be that regional events. So we want to bring those back. Uh, we want to bring back lightning talks. Masato is is about to kick off a series of lightning talk sessions where it's a sort of a one-hour thing. They can You can throw these up almost at the drop of a hat. Teams get on, talk about what they're doing. It's a very short, it's very quick, it's very little preparation, but it's trying to bring people together. So there's that. There's that kind of messaging where we're trying to broaden that ability. Again, putting everything online so you can pick it up as and when you want rather than only at a conference. But then we're tying those together with a, with a social event afterwards, as much as you can do a social event on the internet, things like Gather, things like some of the town forum areas where, where people can just get together and, and not chat in the same way that we used to, but at least, you know, have a bit of a social interaction with your peers and so on. So that's sort of what we're trying to do on, the on that side of things. We're partnering with more organizations, I think. So partnering with IT on things like diversity, really important to, to try and boost the number of, of, of diverse cultures regions everything you know we are, we are very male to be fair north europe you know european north american dominated world and that's not right it, 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 we should be more diverse we we aspire to be a global organization in every country on the planet then uh, we our makeup and our board and, and so on should reflect that and, and make sure that we're getting those opinions in so that's really important to us that diversity piece 
you know, we have the waft off that's kicked off, so that's really positive, and they're they're starting to get some traction there. We have the ethics first, where we're trying to push out standards that aren't just for first standards that are for everybody in our world everybody in at the incident response space be they members or non-members but these are you know open standards that everybody can read and hopefully go work with that give everybody that common understanding of how we work together how's the best we feel is the best way of doing it feel free to disagree but let us know and we'll work to, to to resolve those things you know that's our lesson we don't pretend to be the answer to everything but we want to help our members find those answers and then push them out to a wider readership. Well, I mean, certainly FIRST has a more than their fair share of people who are experienced in this industry, people who've been through a hundred incidents and mm -hmm. can, as a result, easily call on that knowledge and say, out of the hundred incidents, I can't say incidents today, <laughs> out of a hundred incidents that we've, we've, we've run, you know, 96 of them fell into this category. This was the best way to deal with them. You know, there's always going to be that set of edge cases. Mm. There's never going to be 100% coverage of everything. But certainly bringing that knowledge and saying, you're very likely to get a lot of mileage if you do the following 10 things. At some point, you're going to have to diverge from this. But certainly bringing people together and getting that kind of knowledge in one room and saying, how can we take years of our knowledge and put this into... Uh, an understandable and usable format for people who maybe are new to the industry, maybe want to up their game, maybe want to just compare how they do things with how people across the world do things. Mm. Um, and I think there's a there's a lot of desire for that kind of stuff. There is, and I think that's, that's one of the reasons we put in things like Slack and so on, where people can communicate real time now. I've got a problem, what did you do? That, that sort of stuff is really useful. It's getting people to do that. It's a real teasing those those conversations those gems out of teams mm. who've had something happen that every all the rest of us would really like to know about but there's a reluctance to talk about those often which i've seen that in many you know spaces i've worked in there is, but you're absolutely yeah. right that bringing people together in a single room is by it's i think by far the best way of doing this but i mean i i you know i work mostly in third-party vendor security areas and and i'm a member of a couple of different chats where we you know some slack and, and various other cases where we we talk a little bit about some of the experiences we try and also put that into presentations and present at events like b-side san francisco mm. last year um and there is there is an ease of being able to do that in a room face to face with five people, ten people, fifty people that is just not there with throwing information out onto a chat forum where you've no mm. idea who's there, you've no idea where it's logged, right? You know, where comments five, ten years later, someone could pull these up and go, look how wrong this person was. You're like, well, yes, <laughs> ten, ten years have changed things, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I look at things that I wrote ten years ago and think, oh, that's that's terrible, I, you know, embarrassing. Mm. I thought differently ten years ago uh, than I do now, right? I thought that, you know, there was certain types of work that were I mean, not the kind of thing I wanted to do, but now that's the kind of work I do, and I'm happy doing that work. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very easy to, to do that in a live environment. I don't think we're quite there yet with the Slack no. channels and things like that. No, so no. It is easier to stand up in a conference when you can look people in the eyes and, <laughs> and see what's going on. I, I, I think I listened to Serge's podcast recently with he's saying, you know, you get that immediate feedback and that's really positive. Yeah. But knocking an eye on 50% of the attendance at conference, 40, 50% has always been first timers. You know, we, 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 you know, we always have that Sunday night, what we do call the noobs dinner, you know, all the, all the first timers come along and get, you know, 
before the rest of the gang and chat to the board and talk to people and meet each other and so on. And that's really interesting. But so a lot of the people at those conferences are people you will never have met. You won't know them. You will have no basis to trust them as such, if that's what we're talking about. And yet people still stand up and do those presentations. So what, what is the difference between that and doing it online, I suppose, is where I'm going on this. You know, yes, I get it. It's, it's recorded for posterity. That can be embarrassing. Um, and, and you don't know who's there. But realistically, you know, there are a few talks at the conference that are members only and, and whatever. But they're very few and far between. The whole point of what we do is we need to get this message out. We need to get it out as widely as possible. So it's sort of interesting. You get this caught between this trap of, oh, but I don't want to do it. It's online. I don't know who's there. And you're like, well, and the difference is what? Yeah, I think, I think there's room there for, for some research for smarter people than us to do, to try and figure <laughs> out what, what is that element of trust that you gain by looking someone in the eye, right? Mm. At, a, at a conference situation, even if they're in a crowd, you're looking across the crowd and saying, I can say this in front of these people but I wouldn't say this on a recorded Zoom chat. I wouldn't say this mm. on a YouTube video. And I don't know what it is. I mean, it's interesting because I mean, I've done both. I've done online conferences where I've presented work. I do that pretty regularly through, through what I do as a job. And then I've done live conferences in front of thousands of people and, and there is a difference. And mm. I can't- no, You're absolutely right. There, right, there is. But, yeah. but trying but, to but distill down, when I was at Cert uh, UK in, in, in running that we had a, an online sharing platform and we had we actually got a, a workplace psychologist in to try and help understand how we can how we could encourage people to share what do we do what's the best way what are we missing is there rather than you know doing the standard techie you should share why not etc what how can we how can we encourage people in and persuade them fs isaac's always struck me as, as being really good at that you know i remember i was when i was at city we were a founder member. There was very little going across the FSI sack at that time. It was much smaller. It was not international. And then at some point, it just exploded. And the, the data that I've seen when I've been in that space going across there is amazing. It's like, well, how do we get back to that? How do we change this? And is it a yeah. region thing? Is it a, we, you know, you don't like the membership? I don't know. I mean, I think part of it when it comes to information sharing is trying to trying to get people to share the basics right i mean often i find you know within some of the teams i work with is like there's a knowledge base here people think i have to have this groundbreaking piece of information that no one has in order to put this in the knowledge base and you're like is the is the word knowledge scaring you here i mean this is this is this is a glorified wiki you know some of the entries i've put in are you know if you want to get access to data in this system in a read readable format here's a command to run and what you'll get out is a readable format that gives you these things linked together. Like this is not groundbreaking. This is mm. this is something I spent an hour on, and I don't want anyone else to ever have to spend an hour on it, right? And that's that's I think where there's the, the gap is like trying to convince people to share small, and if people share small, people will begin to share slightly larger, slightly larger things to the point where you reach that critical mass where it's like it's fine for me to share this huge thing that I've been working on. Mm -hmm. I think you know, that's a really, really good point. And that's something we, we've looked at. How can we encourage that again within first? So that was one of the reasons for the Slack channels was we just mm -hmm. get people to start doing things. Look, there's a Slack channel. You can get on it. You can chat. Or you might want to share, you know, and, oh, I've got a problem with this system or I've got a problem doing this. The more you can encourage that, the more it becomes not second nature, but it becomes easier. I think it's a very, very good point. My, my one concern with the, the live kind of chat channels is that, 
you're throwing information into the void that will just get lost at some point, right? So if, mm. if you're not if you're not in the chat room listening at the time, mm. in three hours' time, it's five pages up and no one even reads it. And I mean, that's what drove people away from you know, having conversations on IRC back in the day. It would be like, well, I want <laughs> I want people to be able to read this and give feedback and grow on it and grow that idea. Mm. So people move towards towards blogs, and then eventually people like me started doing podcasts <laughs> for better or worse <laughs> but but then it was you, know, you want to throw that idea out there and have people mm. come back to you and say this is wrong and then you gr you grow from that but on those kind of mediums where you throw things out and they disappear even on twitter to some extent they, they just disappear down the timeline is mm. you don't get that feedback it doesn't live and and generate interest it doesn't evolve it just becomes a small snippet of information that's just useless yeah that's a, again very good point i think it's something we're i think the board is fairly they look at the infrastructure we have in place and think we could be doing you know we could improve this we could be doing better with this yeah. and i think there are there are moves afoot to to look at doing different things than i mean we have a wiki that many of the well all the sigs have space on the wiki and they're certainly able to dump down data and create frameworks as the pisa and the csert teams have done to to produce documents and so on I, we'd absolutely encourage that hugely i think that's really really important but it's doing it in a not a structured way but in some way that, as you say, is searchable and easy to understand. So you can't just dump it in a big bucket, you know, in some hand where someone has to spend some time doing this. It's something we were looking at one point of hiring uh, someone to work for us to do some of that SIG support work and to maybe work as sort of a community manager and encouraging things. Literally, you know, I, the, the, the adverts were out there. I think I had something like 70 applications and COVID hit. So, oh, so unfortunately, bad we sort of again thought of thought, oh, maybe, you know, while we weather this storm, let's let's put that on pause. It's certainly an ambition, I think, mm. to to better do that and to mentor teams to have a sort of a ask me anything channel, you know, that that new teams can maybe come and talk to and say, I'm trying to build a system or I need a system that does X, rather than putting it on the mailing list. Is there some way of doing that to, to help that knowledge sharing? Yeah, there's a certain amount of stigma, especially around people who are just joining the industry, people who are just starting to do things that they haven't done before, even if they've been in the industry for a while, is that you ask that question of, hey, does anyone know how I do this? And, and sometimes the answer you get back is, this is basic. Everyone's been using this for years. Why are you even asking, right? Whereas, mm -hmm. I mean, certainly within First, there's a lot more of a friendly community and people are a lot more eager to help each other out. Um, more public resources, maybe less so. But... Mm -hmm. in, having that ama for hey basic questions ask me anything right i've done mm. a, a few of those before at, at conferences where it's been uh, mostly around kind of career workshops and, and things like that marketing yourself and you know how to grow your career stuff and you again in those kind of live environments people are a lot more likely to ask basic questions uh, yeah, yeah. yes yeah. yeah rather than online where yeah. it's recorded for posterity that they ask exactly. a stupid question or whatever which is not true yeah. so there's this there's this weird juxtaposition between i want this information to be transitory so as not to be embarrassing for me in 20 years time <laughs> versus i want this information to be non-transitory to grow and get information so it's it's very difficult to to kind of hit that midpoint where everyone is happy it is. And that's, I mean, you know, gosh, if I saw someone, you know, I, I would like to think, hey, we don't have that kind of behavior in first that people would oh, no. jump on some with what a crazy question. I hope not. I think, you know, we'd be very upset if we saw it. But there's certainly a one of my other things I'm sort of pushing to change somewhat, not behind the scenes, but, you know, we're trying to look at how do we move from this model now where 
you know, you're either, there's a binary point where you become good enough to join first. And how do you move that left, so to speak? So that's much earlier than it is now. So possibly not the big banks, because you sort of figure they've got the money to do this, but national CSERs, certs with national capabilities. How do we, we, we go and do a lot of capacity building. We've partnered with the, the foreign, you know, the, the UK Commonwealth or the, the Commonwealth organizations, the ITUs, the OESs of this world, to talk about capacity building national CSERTs and what you need to do. And here's the RFC and, and all these sort of things. And then we sort of walk away and leave them until they're good enough to join us. <laughs> We're not very good at that transit period. Consequently, it takes them longer to get good. Well, I like to think we could speed it up if we got more involved. But they're not members, so how do you how do you do that, so to speak? You know, and how do we change the membership process, and how do we change that the ability to bring people in during which stage? That's you know they can ask those kind of questions, and they have to get them as good as possible as quickly as possible, so that they can become fully fledged first members and doing good stuff with the internet, so to speak. So that's another an area I think of change that we're looking at certainly as to how we can how we can improve that. Yeah, with those kind of things, there's always a there's always a danger that you you leave. You, you provide the guidance, then you, you say, come back to us when you're, when you're ready. Mm-hmm. And people spend a long period of time you know, trying to reach those, reach those criteria points in the way they understand them. And the outcome is someone comes along and says, we're ready. And then you take a look and go, you've misunderstood. You've been working for a year on something that is not actually relevant in this space or worse you've misunderstood completely and you now you still don't meet requirements because you've spent the resources <laughs> on something else so, that's exactly my point that's absolutely it that yes. was it and that's yeah. how do we how do we help them on that and i'm going to be horrible management speak journey all the rest <laughs> of this stuff now some of our you know partner itu are very good at this the oa the cert cc folks are very good at this you know they work with countries and help them get bigger they you know funded by their governments to do so and then often the goal at the end of that is to join first so they work with them. We are, we've been involved in some of the sort of the initial capacity building stuff. They then work. So how do we get involved? It seems a bit of an abdication of our, of our role that we just walk, walk away. But, you know, it's very much like, all right, we've told you that. Come back when you're ready. There's room for getting that feedback that maybe you're missing as well. Is it oh, the, yeah. the danger is, is very much that you set these, these targets to hit and people people who never come through that process they never reach the end maybe they're saying there's no point in us doing this thing you want us to do because mm. it doesn't mm. meet the requirements of our country it doesn't meet the requirements of our organization so we're not going to spend six months doing a thing so that we can get a piece of paper that says first mm. if that mm. thing doesn't eventually benefit us and the country and the constituents that we need to protect so maybe there's that's, that that's feedback a, gap i think that's a very very again another very good point i most countries have certs they're not typically certs they're not doing emergency response really mm. many of them they're more of an isac they're an intelligence sharing and an, an, an a coordination center that's what most national certs do again uk cert personal experience we weren't there to come and you know with forensic kit and help you solve your problem we were there to help you but it was very much seen as your problem. So we weren't a cert in the true meaning of the word. And you're absolutely right. But then you go to the other end of the spectrum and you've got, you know, universities who are absolutely in there trying to fix things, but at a network level because they don't control the laptops. Mm-hmm. And then you've got banks who, you know, one hack is a bad thing. So their 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 risk appreciation and, and, and ability to do stuff is hugely different. Yeah. And yet we try and lump them in this one thing. And that's where, again, where things like the C-Cert framework and the P-Cert framework are helping us build those actually you this is what you need to do and this is what you should think about mm-hmm. yeah i think that sometimes 
people just need that little bit of advice. It's like, well, which direction do you need to start heading in, right? So, so there's a mm -hmm. lot of fledgling organizations that they don't know what they need. They don't, they don't know which direction to start going in. And maybe at the very start, they pick a direction because they have to, but it's not the direction that they actually need to be going in and realize halfway down that journey to use a management speak we you know, they're, they're headed down the wrong path you know it's not the yellow brick road that you thought it was it's it's a dead end on the a12 right that, that absolutely right yes and it is that you know i i whenever i've done some of these sessions it was like pick a few pick a few things but do them really well <laughs> don't don't do everything because you won't manage it I, mean, I we would i was on a capacity building thing i think last ooh, a year or so ago there was a country there that had i think there were three people in their cert they're very newly formed, you know, obviously someone had walked past the door and been, you know, you can be the manager of this cert thing I've been told we have to do. But they had four departments in three teams of three people. It was that kind of, this is not going to, you know, you're not going to, how are you ever going to achieve the levels of maturity, say, that, you know, a major country or a major bank has got with the number of, you know, the skill sets you need? And that's where it gets challenging. It's very true. I mean, often companies will start off by just saying, we can assign one person to do this cert thing until we realize that it's reached critical mass and it's mm. useful for us. And and often, often there's levels to it, right? Where you, you, you mm. maybe, you know, the end of your end of your first phase is not you're doing you're joining first, right? You, you have five phases before you reach that point. And there's mm. probably a, a, a large number of companies that are at one of those earlier phases that maybe you don't have visibility into at first, but mm -hmm. could help to hit that next that next phase you could help them to overcome that next hurdle so it sounds like a very interesting space and i think the more mm. the more you can get involved in that i think the the more there's going to be opportunities for growing that cert network and the, the first Absolutely. network I, I you know we we get members who t come to us with when they apply with it with you know a book you know it's a thick <laughs> book of stuff and we're like this is great probably didn't need all that <laughs> you well, know we, we a lot of this is it's but but you know we have this document this you know visit guide and all the rest of it and it can I, I you know do you have a secure space well how many people actually work? Well, nobody's working in an office anyway we're all working virtually even when i was at work work we all worked remotely in at city when i was there we had people all over the world so there's no office space to inspect do you have a shredder well I guess. Do you have a fax machine? What's what? a fax machine? <laughs> I had, I had <laughs> one in the 80s. Does this count? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's over there. It's not plugged in, but yeah, I've got a fax machine. But you know, that, some of the, so we need to move with those times. And that's, I know that's very much the way we're moving with, with some of the, uh, the open CSERT framework piece that we're looking at. And so I, guess, I mean, looping entirely back to where we started this conversation, you know, the, now everyone is working remotely. We started talking about how that affected the, the conferences and, and COVID being a problem with travel. Now everyone's working from home. You're right. You know, my protective environment is the lock on mm. the apartment door in the hotel I'm staying in, right? I hope no one is going to climb through the window of the 34th floor, but there's a possibility, <laughs> right? And, and that brings with it a whole load of new challenges. It's like, I have a shredder. It's not in the same country as where I live right now, but I do have one. <laughs> so it, I guess that brings the question of how do teams that work entirely remotely or will work entirely remotely in the future be able to meet those kind of standards mm. and how mm. do teams that have already met those standards continue to meet those standards in in the the new world of working remotely from wherever you happen to be yes 
And I think that again is, you know, we, we're we're working with with the Open CSET Foundation, Don and Klaus Peter and the team, to look at their maturity model. And, and we, you know, I personally think that's a far better way of doing it. You know, how mature mm. are you in these spaces? And it, it would also give people the ability to improve. You know, they can look at it and say, well, I'm doing really well here, but I'm not doing so well. There. It'll be, a, I, I think that's a better way than here's this big, thick document that, for instance, Citibank, when I was there, did in 1997 when we joined first. We left sometime in the late, uh, you know, 2010s or something because people, for some reason, it got dropped through a crack. They weren't even in the site. They were different people. They were different offices. It was, you know, there was no one, nothing consistent. Yet we don't go back and relook at that. And there's no ability to do that. I think that's that's an area we can improve. But it puts a lot of overhead on first, right? At that point, you, you, you're asking people to, to meet a certain set of criteria, but asking them to recertify every 12 months is, oh, yeah. is, is it? which is a bit, a bit to be fair the c-cert is it tfc cert? they do some work mm. in that sort of space there's certainly contacts and so on. yes you're absolutely right yeah. you're right and that's where we have to balance you know do we become this very formal organization with almost a certification model which which is not something i'm very mm. comfortable with through to are we just a bunch of folks who meet up and have a beer and there's there's a midpoint down there's the line point. yeah where we can we have enough that we can trust each other I can I can remember when I joined, we had under a hundred hundred people, hundred teams in the comp in the in first. You know, stuff came across the mailing list that you were like, "Whoa, that's really interesting." Yeah. Those days are sort of gone purely because of the scale, and as you said, people are slightly more leery of sending it. But the, the trust, individual trust relationships people build with first, I think, are stronger than they probably were then. But the I know you, so I will talk to you because I've met you, I've talked to you, we've attended each other's briefings, whatever. That that's really positive. Mm. Yeah, lots of change. So lots of change coming. Lots of good ideas um, on you know where we're first heading. To wrap things up, what's what's the message to people who are listening to the podcast? Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. But also, you know, first members, people who are interested in being a first member in the future. You know, what's what's the message of hope from first? You know, we've we've managed to weather the COVID storm reasonably well. You know, as an organisation, we're, we're we're sort of okay. We're not in financial straits or anything crazy like that. I think we want to. We've we've started doing more online, and we've realised that's an area we should have done earlier. But now we're there, and we're working on that. So we will push that. First, we'll get back. We will be having conferences again. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that Dublin next year is is the certainly the first annual conference we'll be back on the road with, and that'll be really really cool. But I think it's about you, the value you get out of first is very much is is rel re related to the value you put in. If you sit back and expect to just not leech off it, but just just you don't contribute, you don't turn up to conferences and so on, you're not going to get very much out of it. You'll get stuff, but it's not good. The value you get out is when you attend, when you meet people, when you talk to people, when you brief out to people, when you do those things. So it's it's a it's a forum. I get, I'll, I'll go back to my original. You know, the clue to what makes first success is in the name. It's a forum where people come and talk. If you come and talk, it can be an enormously valuable organisation. It's certainly served me very well over the years in incident response. You know, I've loved every minute of working for these people and, and now I work for them, which is even better. So I, I get paid to do this, which is fantastic. And I look forward to the days we can start meeting each other and getting back together. I guess to echo the sentiment that we talked a bit about earlier on in the discussion, when you do present in front of this forum, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Sometimes the small thing is 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 the thing that grows and grows and, and starting that discussion is, is the thing. Mm. And, uh, you know, what we... 
as an organization, our ethos is, you know, if members want to do stuff, we will help them do stuff. So we have some 20 odd special interest groups now where a bunch of people have come together and said, we're really interested in this. And it might not apply to all 597 teams or whatever it is, or 567, but it will apply to a smaller group. Well, that's great. That's what First exists to do. We, we are here to help you. We'll set up, you know, we'll give you Zoom, we'll give you Wiki, we'll give you whatever. And the support to take those little ideas and grow them into bigger ideas and improve the world. Well, on that message of hope and message from first, <laughs> I will uh, leave you to it. Thank you very much, Chris, for taking the time to, to have a discussion with us today. Hope it's been uh, a good experience on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I, I look forward to doing more of these. Thank you. Well, there was there will be more possibilities in the future, and uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll uh, we'll be doing one of these. Hopefully we'll be doing one face to face. Face to face in Dublin. I, I hear they have Guinness there. I hear they have the Guinness. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. And we will speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to the First Impressions podcast. And thanks to this week's guest. You can find Chris John Riley on Twitter at Chris John Riley, all one word. You can find me, Martin McKay, on Twitter at MCKEAY. And you can find the first organization at first.org. F I R S T D O T O R G. You can also find more information about FIRST and the FIRST Impressions podcast at FIRST.org. Thanks again for listening.